episode 103. Great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. Yeah, fuck Lando Calrissian. Hey, I'm Scott Gardner, and this is Two True Freaks Star Wars Monthly Monday number... What the hell one is this? 17, I believe I think? this is 17, yes. Man, 17. That's awesome. That is awesome. Well, hey, did I, I said my name right. Yes, and you did. you are... I am Chris Honeywell, your co-host. Oh, yeah, that's right. See, I can't remember because I have so many of them these days. I can't keep everybody straight anymore. My name is Chris Honeywell, and I'm addicted to Star Wars. Hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> <You're> sp- <laughs> I was going to say, you're supposed to say it like, my name is, but that's, that's, for, next, <laughs> that's, that's for next week. That's so. next week's episode, yes. <laughs> We need to do that from now on, actually. (laughs) Well, anyway. That's what we should do. We should start a 12-step program for people who are trying to get off the Star Wars. (laughs) Well, not now, man. I'm just getting on to the Star Wars. Right. That's what we do. We hook them first, and then we get them to pay to get off it. I am actually almost ashamed now to go back and listen to one of our first episodes. You're talking about the episode seven show. Yeah. Episode seven. So way back when we had a, it was one of our earliest episodes was one. I think we just called it episode seven where we speculated on, you know, if there, if there actually was another star Wars movie, you know, that took place beyond return of the Jedi, what would it be about and everything. And in the course of that show, we went on about, you know, just different things, but we touched briefly upon the fact that we knew that there was, you know, a, another Star Wars world out there, you know, the the expanded universe, but that neither one of us really knew shit about no. it, you know, that we'd never really dabbled with it very much at all, you know, never really, you know, given it much of a, well, I don't know, I was going to say that we didn't give it much of a fair shake, but I, I felt like I, I had given it a fair shake, that I just... 
wasn't interested, you know? I think we both were like that, because didn't you read one of the first books, right? Like that Timothy, that first Timothy Zahn book? I read most of it, and I just, I didn't like the style that it was written in. I can't remember <laughs> what it was, but it, it seemed dry to me. Right, yeah, and me too. It, see, it didn't really have a lot of stuff happening, really, to tell you the truth. And I was just like, well... I can't see getting into like four meaty volumes of this because I like because if it's good I'll read all of them but if it's bad I've got a lot of other stuff I got to read you know yeah no kidding <laughs> so you know well you know I I had tried that book as far as the novels go and then as far as the comics you know Dark Horse started up and uh, as was pointed out to me recently and uh, over on I, I had a guest appearance on uh, Too Old to Grow Up they had a special Star Wars episode and I, w- I always was thinking when I remember back on Dark Horse starting Star Wars I always remember them starting up with um, that Tales of the Jedi series that they did and that's actually not right they actually the first thing out of the, out of the shoot was um, Dark Empire which is kind of a uh, sequel of sorts to Return of the Jedi, you know, and I don't remember a whole lot about it. I only ever read it once and didn't like it very much, but it, I think a lot of that was because of the art. But all I can really remember about the story was that Luke goes bad, and I think the Emperor comes back. It was like a clone a of the clone. Emperor. Or I some remember shit hearing like that. about that. Yeah, and it, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't horrible. I really need to read it again because I think the combination of the art, which I really, really didn't like, and to me, what I took as a very cliched premise, which was Luke going bad. Which again, now this probably will come off as us sounding like we're bragging, but you and I wrote that story right. a long time ago. You know, when we were doing our, you know, it started off when we were doing uh, what we called battle in outer space wars started out as a parody of star Wars. But as we kept writing it and after running the out of movies, it, yeah, we <laughs> ran out of movies, it slowly mutated into, we basically were doing our own continuation of star Wars. So what started as, as comedy really turned into just, you know, us writing sequels to start, you know, to the Star Wars trilogy. And that was one of the storylines that we did where, where eventually Luke went bad. And so didn't he turn that, into dark dirt eye or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he basically something, <laughs> I can't remember what now, but something happened to him and he ba- basically became another Darth Vader. You know, he was in a, you know, he was in a special suit and the whole nine yards, but yeah, I can't remember all the details of it now. Um, so, you know, to read that in, in a star Wars story, it just didn't have the punch for me that it may have had for other people that, you know, cause I, I all the time see that story lauded as, you know, one of the great star Wars, you know, expanded universe stories. And to me, it just didn't have any punch cause I'd been there, done that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, you know, in the course of that episode, I felt like, I feel like looking back on that one now that maybe we, we, kind of badmouthed the EU without really knowing too much on it or whatever. You know, we just kind of dismissed it out of hand. But, man, I'll tell you, in the past, like, month or so, I have really been delving in to the EU as far as the comic book stuff. Well, for one thing, I bought my first trade. I bought, um, I decided to start, I didn't want to start way back at that Tales of the Jedi material, because I've read, there's, like, I'm not sure how many series, but there's, 
you know, they, they did, instead of having like a continual book of those, what they did was they would have mini series. It would be usually five or six um, issues long. And there's several of them. I want to say there's like six or seven of those miniseries. I've read most of them up to a particular point. And it just seemed like while the stories were okay, you know, they never really grabbed me all that much. And it seemed like the art degenerated quickly. Like it started out halfway strong in the first couple of them. But by the time I quit with the one, it was like the Freedom Nad Uprising or something like that. I thought the art was just horrible. So I stopped reading them. And I'm not really interested in going back that far to examine that stuff because that's the stuff that happens like thousands of years before, you know, the the Star Wars that we're we're familiar with. Right. But I decided to start with uh, with stuff that was closer to the prequels. So I picked up my first omnibus. You know, I talked about this a while ago. How I've you know by dropping as many books as I have, I've kind of freed some money up in my in my. Um, comic book order through through heroes and i decided i'm gonna check out the the star wars eu and i thought a good way to start was to start with one of the omnibi so i f- bought my first one and it was called rise of the sith and it starts out with stories that uh well the very first one in it is a story of qui-gon and young obi-wan and he's like uh i don't know i'd say probably 12 13 years old something like that in this story and it goes up pretty much to right before when uh, the Phantom Menace would be starting, you know, some, somewhere in that, that general area. And this thing's a whopper, man. It's, it's about 450 pages, give or take. It's pretty close to it. And it's just an awesome collection of, you know, all kinds of stories from this era. It's got, you know, stories with with Qui-Gon, stories with Obi-Wan, stories with the Jedi Council and Yoda and all those characters. Um, a really nice story with um, Kiari Mundi. And uh, one of the ones that really impressed the hell out of me right at the end of the book is this awesome story of uh, Darth Maul being sent out by his master, you know, by Darth Sidious to take out this organization, the, this black sun organization. And, oh man, is it awesome? I mean, he is a badass. I mean, he just takes out everybody until episode one. Yeah. Until episode one, which actually makes his, his death, you know, in, in episode one, that much more, you know, kind of weird really because he's made in this one to really seem like he's unbeatable you know so which i you know it either makes him look kind of wussy now or it makes obi-wan look that much more awesome that obi-wan could take this guy out you know because this guy's pretty wicked in this story but i'm telling you man i got this one i think with my discount it was like 16 bucks highly highly recommend it it was freaking awesome and i'm a slow reader so usually something like this even even comics that are this dense you know for you know almost 450 pages would take me forever to read i read this thing in like two days i burned through it it was awesome i really got a kick out of it and i highly recommend it you know this is this is the kind of thing i've been looking for with my Star Wars comics, you know, something that would have really fantastic art and just stories that would grab me, you know? And it seems to me like, uh, like Dark Horse, they, they finally got their shit together. You know, they, they finally 
you know, it, it's not like that that early Dark Horse uh, Star Wars stuff they were doing that just didn't grab me. I mean, this stuff was really pretty good. The art in the Chaotic Monday story is a little bit 90s, you know, it's it because it, it's I think that's the oldest stuff that's in here, if I'm not mistaken, because what this is, is it's reprinted. Um, in a chrono- chronological order, it's basically taking all these stories and and presenting them so that were, way. So were some of these written and produced before the prequels came out? Yeah, I, okay. Yeah, I and so they're mixed yeah. in with stories that came out after the prequels too, though. So they have I think like so, yeah. they'd have to be if they have Qui Gon and Darth Maul, and mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of cool that they all fit together and yeah. That's what I like about it because that's the way I've been reading the novels is chronological order. So it's nice to have this stuff is reprinting. You know, my understanding is this omnibus series is is intent on reprinting everything, you know, but in a more or less chronological order. So, you know, these stories may have come out, you know, one story may have been back in 98 and another story was in, you know, 2003 or whatever but they're presented in timeline order rather than publishing order. And that's what's cool to me is yeah. I see the progression of characters and events. And, and it, to me, it just makes more sense that way. I, I enjoy it more that way because, you know, this this was something, you know, you and I had talked about the other night off the air was trying to figure out where to jump in. You know, I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. You know, do you try to go back and, and track these issues down in publishing order, you know, which I would imagine would, it would just be a hell of a daunting task because there's so much of it, you know, or, or do you do it, you know, in some other way, trying to do it through trades or something like this. And I would say this is, I think this is the best way. Just get these omnibi as they come out because there's not very many of them and you can pick an era that you're most interested in and just start with that. So, I mean, I mean, I really enjoyed this, and it's it's got you know whole storylines from series. Like it's got the first six issues of of the series that was just called Star Wars by Dark Horse, and then it's got other stuff that's like rare because it was just a one shot or a story that appeared in some anthology book right. or something like that. It's the whole nature of these omnibi is that they're intent to to reprint everything so that you don't have to track track down some obscure, you know, one shot story somewhere or whatever to get everything, you know, if you're if you're patient enough and wait on these omnibi, eventually they're going to give it all to you, you know, in one easy convenient digest. You know, I love that. I think that's a great idea. So I got a I got a kick out of it. I also got a couple other things because you know, after I burned through that, I was like, damn, now I want to keep going, you know, and I wanted wanted to keep going with the story. Well, was at a convention uh, a couple weekends ago and uh, for dirt freaking cheap because really nobody wants these. I picked up the um, trade paperback adaptation for both episode one, um, episode two. And then I don't know if you remember this, but when episode one was coming out, kind of like when, when Superman Returns came out, there was that four issue mini that tied into the movie. Well, episode one had done that before, too. And episode one had a four-issue miniseries. Well, actually, there were four one-shots is really what they were that tied into the movie. Right, and they were all the characters. Like, one was a Darth Maul, one was a 
Qui-Gon. I don't Aren't well they? I didn't get a Darth Maul one, but I got um I got Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Queen Abandala, and uh Qui-Gon Jinn. And these were a real mixed bag because every one of them's got a different creative team, so you know right. the stories are a little bit different, the art's a little bit different. I think I have those. Oh, do you? Yeah. Have you ever read them? Yeah, and I remember they were pretty good. Some of them were better than others. Yeah. Um, I recall. Wasn't the Anakin one? Didn't it? Ha- wasn't it a like sort of a story of him and the little Greedo creature? Or maybe it was yes. even Greedo. You found out that somebody was Greedo in in it. I don't know if it's, if it's. Yeah, I'm not sure about. I may it, be it thinking is. of a Star Wars Tales story too. Yeah, I might there be is a Star Wars up. Tales with Greedo because I just read that um, not long ago. I, I lucked out the other day. I picked up a couple of uh, trades of Star Wars Tales for a buck a piece. Ooh. And those things, you know, they're not cheap. No. So that was a good deal. I read, I've only read one of them so far, but it was really good. It had some good, uh, had an awesome Boba Fett story in it drawn by uh, Mike Diodato Jr. who I really like his art when, when he's on his A game and, uh, that was some really good stuff, but yeah, these one shots were weird because the Anakin one was was okay, the Obi Wan Kenobi one complete ripoff. It's it's literally really? it's yeah it's it's Yoda and Obi Wan having a powwow at the end of Phantom Menace and basically recapping the entire movie in this one issue. Adds nothing whatsoever to Obi Wan's story or the movie or anything. I was just like, "Wow, that sucks." The Amidala one, kind of goofy, and the only really cool one was actually the Qui Gon one, which is odd for me because I don't like Qui Gon Jinn, but that one was actually pretty cool, and the, and the art was really nice in it. The uh, the movie adaptations. All right, now the Phantom Menace one, the art's not bad. But wow, it's it's kind of truncated, you know. This, yeah. It doesn't feel like anything's missing necessarily, but it's so by the numbers. Yeah. That granted, Episode One is not my favorite Star Wars movie anyway. I think it is the clunkiest one. It's the slowest one. It's the talkiest one. But that's not to say that there's not some exciting things that happen in it, or that you know that it's it doesn't have some really nice action. Well, you could and, if you were good if you worked the comic right, you could streamline a lot of that stuff. Right. Yeah, you could spru. I think you could. There's a lot of potential in the comic medium to spruce up, you know, that movie. Nah, they didn't do it, and it's actually the book reads more boring than the movie actually right. is. I was really disappointed in it. And the art, you know, while it is spectacular, it's not dynamic either, you know. But on the flip side, I was really, really pleasantly surprised by the uh, Episode 2 adaptation. For one thing, the art is beautiful. It's uh, that Jan – let me make sure I've got the right – yeah, Jan Dersema, who has been doing a lot of work in the Star Wars, you know, the Dark Horse Star Wars comics. Uh Uh-huh. And so this, you know, it adds a feel to this of being part of the overall Dark Horse Star Wars stuff. But the like the Camino sequence in this is just, oh, it's awesome. You know, the whole part where Obi-Wan goes to Camino and meets the Kaminoans, Kaminoans, whatever. I can't say that word. <laughs> and uh, and sees the troopers. And I mean, it's just really really richly detailed his fight with Django is freaking awesome 
And there's a lot, it's a lot more intense, which, you know, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about is I, I don't really care for adaptations when they look like panels out of the movie. Right. I want to see it presented comic book style, you know, where, where the where the fight is a little more intense and a little bit more... Uh, stylized. Stylized, thank you. Yeah, I was going to say comic booky, and that's not at all what I mean. I don't want it to look comic booky, but definitely stylized. And yeah, in this, I mean, there's a great panel where... Django's at Obi-Wan's throat and they're beating the hell out of each other as they're falling off the thing, which right. is, you know, that's pretty much an exaggeration of the actual scene. But this is a comic book. It's supposed to be dynamic yep. and really, you know, stylized and over the top. So I enjoy it. There's, there were some extra st- scenes in here, which is, you know, that owes back to our childhood. That was one of the things I like to see, not just in Star Wars adaptations, but any Marvel a- adaptation of a movie, you know, whether it was, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or anything. If, if they were doing a movie adaptation, I liked getting those scenes that, you know, you imagined wound up on the cutting room floor or whatever. Right. And there's, there's not a lot of them, but there are a couple. So that was pretty cool. So, you know, I got this thing for, I don't know, it was like a buck or two at most for this trade. And I would say, you know, if you could find this thing on the, on the cheap like I did, definitely pick it up because it well, was really cool. I basically, if I see any... Star Wars comic on the cheap. I pick it up because I eventually wouldn't mind having all of them. So if I, you know, if I keep picking up the ones that I don't have when I see them for 50 cents or a quarter or something or at a rummage sale, no matter how cheesy they look, well, you know, whatever. They're worth a quarter, you know, to Mm -hmm. at least look at. And it would be interesting to see how many of them I could find. But, uh, you know, like we were, like I was saying the other night, I just sort of when the EU stuff started coming out, it was a combination, I think, of reading that first Timothy Zahn book, which I was pretty excited for that to be happening because it seemed pretty Lucas sanctioned. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, so this is, so I'm, I'm like, you know, my last experience with that was what splinter of the mind's eye really. Cause I didn't really read the Han Solo and the, and the, um, I read like, I think, two of the Han Solo books and I think I read all the Lando books but I read them like once and was like oh okay they're okay some of them were better than others but Splinter of the Mind's Eye was the one I thought of as a sort of canonic because it sort of it wasn't a past story of past adventures it was in the whole universe in action and uh, so you know reading that Timothy Zahn book and going oh okay I see what's happening here and I don't like it and ditching it and then like sort of it coincided with the period when I wasn't really paying attention to comics much in the 90s and then all of a sudden you know all these Star Wars comics are coming out and I just by the time they were in my radar it was just so so either they looked like something like the Rogue Squadron stuff or the stuff that took place thousands of years in the past like I said the other night you know, I opened up some of those ones that are set in the past, and it could have been an episode of or an issue of John Carter, Warlord of Mars, for right. all I knew. It's just all these characters who have nothing to do with anybody I know, and, you know, lightsabers. But that could just be a sword with a wiggly line around it, too, you know? So, uh, you know, I was just like, just not willing to put the time and energy into tracking it all down and figuring it all out and getting the back issues and 
hunting it all down and I think this is before like trade trades and stuff like that were you know routinely put out so there wasn't really much of a way to catch up so I just sort of opted out and every once in a while I would get stuff that was a one shot I, I was really happy when Star Wars Tales came out because it was all a collection of you know one shot stories some of them goofy some of them serious from all different time periods from all different right. movies and then it started to become an anthology thing of just like continuing stories and that's when I stopped getting it but um and I remember and I got the Infinities when they came out as trades mm-hmm. and actually I think I got Jedi when it came out as regular comics and went back and got Star Wars and Empire as trades because I really liked the Jedi one a lot so and I actually was just having a conversation with Leroy Ziggo and he was saying that he would love to hear us talk about the Infinities comics and I was thinking I'm going to have to read them I haven't read them yet but I've been wanting to they're very good and I was thinking maybe if we did maybe sometime in the future we should do Star Wars and Empire since we're just about to do the movie Empire we could do the alternate Ooh, alternate Star Wars idea. and Empire Ooh. and then when uh, Jedi comes along maybe we could do the uh, Infinities for Jedi after like we do the idea. movie for Jedi All right. that's Leroy Rivera right yes. <laughs> his, his, yeah his, his uh, handle is Ziggo but yeah yeah well when I look at him here on <laughs> Skype he's Leroy in parentheses, Ziggo Rivera. So, host of uh, of uh, Comic Tube, uh, Comic t- Tube podcast. To tell you the truth, I like like the name Leroy is one of my favorite names of all <laughs> times. Like, yeah, you know me, I'm not about to have a kid, but if I was to have a kid, Leroy would be on the short list of male names. <laughs> even I would even consider giving it to a female, just to be a bastard. <laughs> But anyway, back to but Star Wars. But I tell you though, but now thing, I'm uh, starting to get now I'm starting to think that I want to and I'm starting to get a bunch of them, you know, piled up in there so, you know, I know you could get interested in it. I I know you could because I have and well, and I know that our our likes and interests are are close enough that you know, that you would find something to like because one of the things you said was that you know, it's it's a bunch of characters you don't know and you don't you're not interested in or whatever. But all it takes is one. Right. You have to and just I, start I, out at the begin. That's the thing is, if I start out at the beginning, then I can become invested in the characters. Right. But when I come into I, the I've, middle of it and it's like Zignog was Fay <laughs> of you know of the planet Tridor and and I don't know what the hell is going on and he's fighting the Zlagnoids and. You know, right. it, it might as well just be any, any any sci-fi opera at that point. So, but if I start out right from the beginning, that's fine. I'll, I I like getting invested. You know, I like having new characters to to See, learn I think about. You could. I really think you could because the one I've been reading right now is because um, I've been wanting to read. There's there's a series of trades that are out that are just called Clone Wars. Uh-huh. And and I I was looking through them and it said uh, the first one starts at like I think it's Star Wars number like forty nine or something and I was like well that's weird if this is number one why the hell doesn't it start at number one and what it turns out was um, Dark Horse had a series that was just simply called Star Wars it started out in uh, in ninety eight I believe and it ran until somewhere in its 40s like issue 46 or 49 or something like that 
and then it became Star Wars Republic. And it kept the same numbering and all, but it just changed the, uh-huh. the title slightly. And when it turned over to Republic, that's when those Clone Wars ones start because in the title, it you know it, it suddenly became about the Clone Wars. But it had been running for you know all that time, you know, for like four years before that time, and had been running basically from when, um, like just before Phantom Menace came out. So it's basically running concurrent with the prequel trilogy as the, those movies were coming out. So I went back and I was reading that, and it starts out, and like the first several stories were were Chaoti Mundi stories. And they were really good, and I was really enjoying them and all, but it was also a certain sense of, oh, Caddy Mundy's kind of cool, but, you know, he's not my favorite character and all. And it was, But I was sticking with it because I was enjoying it and all. But I'm telling you, all it takes is finding that, that right character, the guy that, that's going to, you know, click with you and go, okay, now, I, now I'm invested. Now I really want to see where this is going to go. And I finally got to a point in the story where, where that happened for me. There's this guy... Uh, He's a Jedi named Quinlan Voss, and he's he reminds me a hell of a lot of Scalp Hunter from the DC universe. You know the, the Indian character. Now Scalp Hunter, for anybody that doesn't know, he he was this guy where he was actually a white man, but he had been raised by I don't know I, I think they were Apaches or something. I can't remember what tribe, but he was raised by Indians basically. But the Indians that raised him hated his friggin' guts, right? So he considered himself one of them, but they didn't consider him one of them. And then when he would go into white man's world, they considered him an Indian. So they hated his gut. So he was like, wasn't at home anywhere, you know, and he was like a man of no worlds, you know, but kind of sort of walked in both. And this Quinlan Voss guy reminds me a hell of a lot of that character. And what's cool is the story starts out with this guy and something has happened to him. And his memory has been stripped from him. So he doesn't remember who he is. And over time, pieces of his life come back to him. But because he doesn't have his full memory and his full faculties and everything, um, when he starts to use his Jedi power and by the nature of the person that he was before he lost his memory, he's slowly slipping into the dark side because it turns out he's always been... uh, this guy that kind of had a lot of like darkness within him, but because of his Jedi training and all, he'd always been able to hold it at bay. Well, now without all that, he's slipping faster and it's really a cool story. It's very interesting, very cool story. And he's really neat because he's a Jedi that doesn't feel like your typical Jedi. You know, he's not, uh, you know, he's almost an anti-hero kind of character because he's not afraid to to do some sketchy things and, and to act in sketchy ways. And he makes the other Jedi nervous because they see the darkness in him and, and, the, and the potential to slip over to the other side almost at any time. And it, it's really, it makes for a lot of drama and a lot of excitement. I think you'd get a kick out of that. I'm enjoying the hell out of it and can't wait to see where it's going to go. Yeah, he almost sounds a lot like Anakin. Yeah, in a certain sense, yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways he is. Now, what t- but, time period is this? When This is concurrent with, like, leading up to... Well, the point that I'm at right now is leading up to the events of, like, uh, uh, Attack of the Clones. So it's okay. right in that period. Okay. Because this, this title was coming out 
you know, it started in 98. So it started just before Phantom Menace came out and then ran concurrent with the, the three prequel films. So I think the reason that it switched over to Republic was because that's when Attack of the Clones, the movie came out. And then shortly thereafter, it, it began covering the events of the Clone Wars. And that's, you know, those trades that are coming out collecting this. So it's, you know, called Clone Wars. And that's why they don't start at like a number one or whatever. They start at, you know, whatever it is, like issue 49 or whatever, because that's the, the beginning of the Clone Wars story. But the title had already been running for four years right. when that happened. So so it's it would almost be like, you know, the point that we're at with the Marvel stuff, if all of a sudden a trade came out collecting like say like the the walt simonson material well the the title had already been going for several years but that's the start of a whole new uh, you know series within you know that you know so that's kind of what's happening with it so but it's it's exciting i'm I'm enjoying the hell out of it so anyway long story short i'm i'm glad that i've discovered this and getting into it because this is the first time in a long time that i've been really excited for new star wars you know it's new to me anyway and uh, and want to besides Clone Wars, yeah, yeah, but and that's also something I'd like to bring up is you won't be hearing about Clone Wars because if if um you know maybe if you don't listen to um our comic show, which is sort of going through a transition, right now we're sort of we've been thinking a lot you know that the second season of Clone Wars is awesome. Mm-hmm. And we sort of want to talk about it, so we might try to figure out a way to to catch up with with all our Clone Wars and get it get it more current, right? So so you yeah, might not hear it this month, but you'll be getting you'll be getting your Clone Wars by hook or by crook. Yeah, because we've we've always been behind on it anyway because oh, yeah. we didn't start until the show was well into it and then you know just through the nature of how things work you know there's been times where we've had to well, let it only, fall by the wayside or we whatever, can only so. do 12 episodes a year anyway, right and there's like what 22 of them in a season something like that so a yeah. season one season equals two years for us and you know we'll never catch up we'll never right. never never catch up that way so we'll so, we'll yeah. figure out a way to uh keep it keep it current man we might have to do we might have to once we get caught up we might have to do like four episodes a show or something mm-hmm. i could be up for that i could be up for you know once we get caught up then you know every time we record after that we just you know cover whatever the the ones were out since the last time we sat down right. we, we could do something like that I, I'd, I'd be into something like that and i know that we have at least uh you know, one good friend of ours that uh, I was in touch with not long ago going, hey, you know, I, I'd really like to be in on a, you know, if you do like an encapsulating episode of, of Clone Wars, you know, let me in on that. So he knows who he is. So he's he's definitely got a place you know at the table for that. You are. <laughs> and if uh, if George uh, Kirstick is listening, I, I want to get a hold of George and see if he'd like to, to get in on something like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's about time we got him back on another episode. He was fun to talk I'd like to get him sometime and just talk general freeform nerd. Oh yeah, pick, pick his nerd brain, see <laughs> see where he goes. Because I know he go, I know like his nerd brain probably goes off in all directions. Because he could talk about stuff that I knew about that you knew about, and I know that a lot of his writing is sort of for anime. 
So that's a whole other world altogether that he's probably fluent in. And right. so, you know, God knows what else that guy has kicking around in there, but we should we should utilize it. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Access it. Definitely. Well, what do you think? You uh you ready to dig into uh more of the Marvel adaptation of The Empire Strikes Back. Not only more of it, but the rest of it. (laughs) Okay, yeah, we'll be right back with what he just said. (laughs) Hey guys, this is Mike Pocheat, a.k.a. Biblio Mike from the forums, calling with a book recommendation for you. My son brought home today from his latest Scholastic Book Club order a book called Star Wars Head to Head, The 30 Wildest Matchups You've Never Seen. And this book is basically the game all fans love to play. Who would win in a fight versus X and Y? For example, who would win in a fight versus Han Solo and Jango Fett? Which a ship would win in a fight between the Millennium Falcon and a Trade Federation battleship, that kind of thing. There's even an imagined matchup between Jar Jar Binks and Jabba the Hutt. And Jabba's got the edge, I think, because of excessive slobber or something like that. It's a lot of fun. There's some great pictures in the book. There's statistics. You can uh, reach your own conclusion, which may be different from the editor's decision about who would win. For example, they would have us believe, and I'm spoiling the first matchup in the book, but they'd have us believe Darth Vader would beat Yoda in a fight. I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. This is the greatest Jedi Master of all time we're talking about. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. It's aimed at kids, but fans of any age would have a good time with it, so I recommend you check it out. Thanks for the great show, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars the greatest space fantasy of all. Okay, now we are going to dig into the second half of the Marvel Comics adaptation of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Now, this, depending on what you're looking at, and I think for the purposes of this, I'm going to actually be looking at the Marvel Comics Super Special number 16, However, the original presentation of this was in issues 42, 43, and 44 of Marvel Comics Star Wars. Chris is looking at Marvel Special Edition Volume 2, Number 2. Yes. So we're basically looking at all the same material. It is slightly different between each one, and I'll point out some of those differences. All right, by the way... um, All right, so we're starting at Chapter 4. We're starting right in the middle of the story. Chapter 4, which covers Issue 42, starts with um, Luke has just crash-landed on Dagobah, and he and R2 are watching their uh, X-Wings sink into the swamp. And it ends as Boba Fett is pursuing the Millennium Falcon through the, uh, the trash. It picks up. 
uh, chapter five, which is also number 43, starts as the Millennium Falcon is approaching Cloud City. And that ends with, let's see here, ends as Luke is uh, is starting to explore Bespin as he's looking for his friends. And chapter six, which covers issue 44, starts where uh, Han, or excuse me, where Lando pronounces Han is alive and in perfect hibernation after he's been frozen in carbonite. And ends where the movie ends, basically, with uh, Luke and Leia arm-in-arm and arm uh, the droids, and they're looking out the window and watching the Falcon fly away. And that's pretty much... The end. What, yeah, that's pretty much what all we're going to cover in this <laughs> I was just going to say, good night, everybody. Yeah, good night. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed it. Um, now, right off the bat, I think I said something about this last time. I cannot remember. If I did, if I did say something about it, well, I was wrong, but... I can't remember if I did or not. But anyway, I know you'll remember this, Chris. At least I think Uh you will. Now, I know that you bought the adaptation of Return of the Jedi as one of these Marvel Comics super specials. But but did you ever read when it was presented as a four-issue miniseries? The Jedi one? Yeah. Yes. You did? I still have those to this day. So do you remember when they threw in an extra page in that when it was presented in the in the four issue comic miniseries there was an extra page in each one of them and it it was was usually just like a sort of just a fluffy drawing like I wasn't one of them like Jabba's court some sort of an expanded view of Jabba's court standing there so it wasn't you know more story no it really wasn't and with that one it was made more jarring by the fact that it really was tacked on. It it wasn't yeah. part of the original presentation. I, I believe the artists were even completely different than whoever drew the, the super special. And that always stood out in my mind that, wow, it, it just really looked kind of cheesy and didn't fit. And as I was thumbing through these different ones. Now, the one that I actually read for the purposes of the show was the super special, but just out of curiosity, I flipped through the individual issues to see what might be different Uh uh, between each one. And I was stunned to find out that I couldn't find any bonus. See, I think I judged all this based on the first issue, which was number 39. I didn't find any bonus material in number 39. So I think I just assumed there wasn't any in the rest of them, but I was wrong. The rest of them do have at least something in them. Number 40, which was the one we're covering where they were on Hoth, had one extra page and it was a a walker firing. And it didn't look to me like it was the same art team, but I could be wrong on that. But it, it just looked a little inconsistent. And then 41 um, at the back had a... Uh, uh, several pages of, uh, of a text piece all about the movie and Marvel's adaptation process of that. And then when we get to the issues that we're actually covering tonight, I'll point out there were, there were some other uh, differences as well. Some of them are pretty cool. But uh, I have talked enough. What did you think about this? Well, this one's really strange because if you recall, like the last thing we were talking about last time was we were like, ah, here comes Al Williamson's Yoda. And you sort of see him looking very, like, pixie-like mm-hmm. just at the very end of it. 
and the first two frames you see Yoda in here, you know, just on the second page, there he is. He's that pixie. He's got the human sort of um, form to him. Mm-hmm. But then the next frame, we've got like our little squat Yoda back. You know, his his face is fuller. So that's kind of weird. Is that the one where he's eating the food he's, stick? He's eating the McDonald's French fry there. Yeah, <laughs> they and, changed it. And his they, human and his human proportions are like his hands are human proportion, which is wrong. Did they did they um, add that in? They literally changed it because I in one of these issues it even shows it. If you get a hold of the paperback edition, the uh, what is that called? Like Marvel Comics Illustrated version of the Empire Strikes Back, or whatever. You know, it's one that looks like a like a pocket book. Yeah, I have that uh, within two feet of me right ah, now grab, as we speak. Grab it as we speak. I've just been organized. I got all my books in the house, which to anybody out there, they have no idea, but was a insane task. Okay, I've got it. Now flip to that page and you'll see that it's a completely different Yoda and Luke's line of dialogue has changed slightly. Oh, I love how they have to cut the layout up a little all over the place. to. And yeah. it's funny, that opening page, that um, X-Wing fighter, totally, to me, brings back my Kenner. Was it Kenner? Yeah. TIE fighter that I had. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Look at He's got one eye closed. He's just like, Rrr! <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like, oh, Gelfling. Yep, exactly. Yeah, holy shit, you're right. Yep, it is. It's completely different. Ah, I love having all my books in one place. Now, see, the my comic... study. The comic, the super special, and the special edition are all the same and all have the Yoda that looks pretty close to the Muppet. But that one that you're holding... Must have I come out first. It, it came out first, and, and it was that's the one that's different, yeah, because it was earlier... But sure enough, no. Um, gosh, I, I got so many notes, I'm not sure where to begin here. For one thing, the the issue itself, number 42, has a really cool cover where it's Boba Fett, um, Dengar, and Bosk on the cover. And then the opening splash page um, also features Boba Fett and the bounty hunters. And the splash page shows Zuckus. But he's not actually shown in the issue itself, and uh, and that splash. But none of the splash pages are reprinted in the in the oversized editions, which is kind of a bummer if you've got the oversized editions. Now, one of the things I, I really enjoyed finding in in this uh, adaptation were there are some bonus scenes that we get, you know, that weren't in the movie, but likewise, there's a lot of stuff that were in the movies that don't wind up in the adaptation, like the whole scene of, uh, of R2 falling overboard and, and where he gets swallowed by the swamp yep. monster. And all that. None of that's in this. You go from them crashing in the last issue to they're on the beach, you know, high and dry in the next issue. You know, how they even got to the beach is, is not explained or anything. I think they purposely do that so that if you get a hold of the comic before the movie, at least when you see the movie, even if you've read the comic 50 times before you saw the movie, there's going to be some surprises, you know, even if they're just small details like, oh, R2 falls in the water and You're stuff like that. You're absolutely right, because I, I was reading about this today, as a matter of fact, that uh, one of the, the big ones that stood out to me is that we don't see the space slug 
Right. And, and I was reading about that today, that that was actually a mandate from Lucas that Marvel could not show it because they wanted it to be a surprise when you were in the theater. So you're absolutely right. Which, did, you know, strangely didn't occur to me while I was reading this. I was just making notes that, wow, you know, you don't see the space slug. And then when I did some research on it, it was sure enough, you know, that that, that was actually purposeful that you didn't see it. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. And, but it, it, back to the Yoda thing, there's an, there, when you get back to, um, and now it makes a lot more sense since they're superimposing him and I should pick up my paperback and look again. There's that scene where he's, tra- you know, there's the eighties montage of them training and like all of a sudden Yoda's like, you know, just eight inches tall, you know, standing on a mushroom and he's just, te- you know, he's a size like halfway up Luke's forearm in size. Right. And so, you know, like he's truly teeny tiny. So it's weird. And there's one where he's sitting on his shoulder where he looks basically like the, you know, when you have an evil, you know, the evil um, (laughs) spirit on one side and the good angel on the other side. And that's basically what he looks like. But it makes sense that that he was probably drawn all like that. And for his close-ups, they drew him you know, with the, you know, Einstein-faced Yoda. Right. <laughs> Einstein-faced Yoda. Well, didn't I they, they took, yeah, they, yeah, they, no. they took his eyes from Einstein, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would hurt. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they did. It just sounds funny. It sounds like a, like a variant, you know, that you yeah. find action figures. Einstein-faced Yoda with karate chop action. <laughs> now, did you notice that the scene where, uh, the Falcons in hiding and the, the the bombs are going off. In this one, the Star Destroyers are actually doing the bombing not right. uh, Thai the bombers. bombers. Yeah, which I, I didn't notice because that was always one of those scenes I really liked. I think that, isn't that about the only time we see the Thai bombers in the movies? Was I think that so. Scene? Yeah, I always thought they were a cool looking ship though. And they were sort of featured in it, you know. He gave them a nice little front and center fly out and then, you know, bombing. So it was just a really... You know that's, that, yeah, that's something we'll get to more when we talk about the movie next month. But right. yeah, Lucas has a knack for introducing the cool new shit and in, into especially in in these original trilogy. You know, mm-hmm. when there was something new, you know, he let he let it go with a splash sometimes. You know, right? And and that was cool. And I and I like the interplay of the comics and the books and stuff never giving you exactly what the movie got you. You could read everything and get all your scoops ahead of time, but once you saw the movie, there was always something in there that was that was going to get you. Yeah, I remember that being one of the big appeals, you know, besides it just being Star Wars, of course, but one of the big thrills about going to the, the new movie was, you know, what new shit were we going to see? You know, because every every time there was a new variant of a TIE fighter, you know, there was a new ship or whatever. I, I love that. Uh-huh. Well, and, uh, I actually, I think the art in these last three comics are superior to the art in the beginning. And I can't really mm-hmm. put my finger on why. Maybe it's because the stuff that happens in the at the end of this is so much cooler. And you have a lot of really great... You have the Dagobah background, and you have Cloud City is just made for Al Williamson to draw, you know. It's oh, got yeah. futuristic Flash Gordon-like cityscapes, and 
Then you've got the dark swamps of Dagobah and fighting Darth Vader under the tree or the projection of his own evilness. And and then the final battle at the end with Darth Vader is just beautiful, gorgeous, dark. And when I say dark, I don't mean evil dark, but it is kind of dark like that. But just, you know, very dark panels crowded with technology and steam and Oh, it's awesome. I've always really liked the scene going going back just a little bit to where you were talking about, you know, the montage scene of, of Luke, you know, getting his training and Yoda's on the toadstool and all that. I like the scene right before that. And I've always wondered if any of this was actually filmed. Because I remember that I'm pretty sure that this was also in Donald F. Glutt's novelization the scene where Luke's running through the through the swamp, you know, getting that workout, and then Yoda just tosses this bar in front of him, just uh-huh. just all of a sudden throws it out there, and Luke was supposed to chop it up with his lightsaber and completely misses it, and he's just worn out and everything, and he says, you know, I can't do it, not through running through the mile for swamp, you know, through the swamp for miles and all, all that. You know, Yoda tells him that if he was a Jedi, that bar would be in seven pieces. And he says, uh, well, I thought I was in good shape. Yeah, and Yoda says, but by what standards? You know, forget old measures, unlearn, unlearn. I remember that being in the novelization. If I'm I'm not crazy, I think it was in there anyway. And I always liked that. I, I thought that was really clever. I remember there being a lot more of Yoda and a lot more... You know, little witticisms and little things that he said in the book and some of it even winds up in this adaptation than, than what wound up in the final film and it, this meshes really well with the with episode 1 through 3 because you, oh, yeah. you see how a Je- you, you see that the Jedi yes they would have cut that into 7 pieces <laughs> and you know and that's that's one thing I hear a lot of people complain about is like oh the Jedi and in the original trilogy are kicking all sorts of ass and Luke is and like Darth Vader by you know that those movies are kind of in slow motion you know they're just not doing the spectacular stunts and yeah it's cause Luke just hasn't had the training Darth Vader's beat up and old but <laughs> and, and you know and the force probably like you know when when the Jedi were in full strength, there was probably a lot of power of the Force gleaned through having so many Jedi, you know, that they could right. work the Force towards themselves. So with just sort of one one good and one bad, you know, uh, maybe they don't, you know, they don't have as much. Well, that doesn't make sense either because they should have even more because <laughs> they should have like a monopoly on the good side of the force and the evil side of the force so well you you probably just answered this question for me but i was wondering do really? you have tr- you, do you have trouble um when you go back now and like read this material or read the the marvel comics or watch the original trilogy do you have trouble keeping the the prequel stuff out of your mind you know, when you go back and look at it? No, I still, you know, I can, I still read it. I mean, the narrative of it and just, it's so ingrained in my consciousness that 
I have to be sort of doing what I'm doing, like for the show, and reading it in, anal- in a more analytical frame of mind. Although mm-hmm. a lot of times, which is a testament to the greatness of this, is it'll take me out of that analytical frame of mind, and I'll end up just uh, just reading it and enjoying it. And not it's that's like a good movie. If it's if the movie's not that good, I s- will sit in the theater and I my brain will start picking it apart because otherwise, you know, my brain will just have to crawl out of my head and head towards <laughs> the door, you know, so it has to do something. <laughs> so if the movie's not stimulating it, but it's the same with anything. But, uh, but when I, but when I, it's fun for me to, to apply the, the new stuff to this when it does, you know, it's fun when it does match and when it doesn't match, it gives you something to, it's like I believe like if you were going to like one of those like Bible colleges where you're learning Bible history and and you know interpretation of the Bible and you have a bunch of Bible students sitting around discussing different philosophical ideas of it and things and you know going well this doesn't match up with this and this doesn't match up with this you know and it's true and whatever but everybody's having everybody's having a riot like arguing about it and figuring it out and stuff like that so it's the exact same thing with with Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> that's why the force is my religion <laughs> so so there but uh yeah i mean it doesn't yeah i that's the thing is no if the the new trilogy could have been ten times worse than it is at all, you know, you know, depending on your opinion or whatever. And it still can't ruin the original stuff for me. And every right. once in a while, if I'm in the right frame of mind and stuff, I can, you know, all of a sudden be right back there when it was new and fresh, you know, and and remember how that feels too, you know. Right, yeah. Which is, you know amazing but which most people need to remember was also colored by the age that you are so once you're three or four times that age you can't really <laughs> you know you'll, you'll never really get it you, you'll never really get that experience again like that so you should with really worry new, about yeah. it with something new with something yeah right exactly it has to be something from that time period to make you feel like that so Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> the you know the the feelings of shock and awe from episode one are part of my recollection. When I see it, you know, I get nostalgic for waiting in line to see it on opening night and going in and and the parts that were really cool and the parts that were really disappointing and just that general scrambled frame of brain of frame of mind that I was left with afterwards. <laughs> You know, and there's a certain nostalgia to it, you know, because <laughs> there's stories to go along with it, and you know it was exciting and all that. So, I, I, I'm, I'm probably going to choose as as much as possible tonight to try to not apply the the other. Oh those, no, that's not, I was just to this. I, I was but. just curious about that because I, I do have that problem from time to time. Because one of the notes I made and. And I had skipped past it, but then when you had mentioned about the the uh-huh. prequels, it, it kind of brought it back to mind again. Was uh, the scene, and it, and it really doesn't have anything to do with this adaptation because it's more a scene in the movie. 
but it just occurred to me how now it, it takes on a whole different kind of aspect is the scene where Luke is trying to convince Yoda to train him that, that he's viable to be trained. And he tells Yoda, I'm not afraid. And, you know, Yoda gets all in his face. You know, you will be. And that I always liked that scene. That was always a really cool scene. And it gives a certain sinisterness to Yoda for just that moment. But then you look back on some of the things that Yoda would, would say in the prequel trilogy about fear being a path to the dark side and all that. And it doesn't quite hold up. It, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem to follow its own internal logic, if you know what I mean. No, Yoda, Yoda in the in the new version of it, just, he doesn't match up. But Yoda may have come across a radical change of of you know philosophy later in life once he got back to Dagobah and like got back to nature, man, started hanging out with his snake buddies <laughs> and. He would have had to because really that that's one of the things that doesn't seem like it, it matches up, you know, that it syncs up very well is the vast difference in, in attitude toward uh, training. Uh, 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 you said vast difference. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Between, you know, Yoda's attitude in the in the prequels and then Yoda's attitude in The Empire Strikes Back as far as training Jedi and how they're trained and how they should act and, and certain things like that. But I don't know. I, I still, because the, the original trilogy came first to me, it, it outweighs, you know, it's, it's yeah the more solid thing continuity wise, you know? So if something doesn't match up, well that it's on the prequel to, you know, to match it rather than it's on the originals to to fall in line or something. Well, well the pre- the prequels sort of necessarily add Qui Gon into this whole mix because this whole time with Yoda and Luke, Qui Gon was talking to him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Yoda had been talking to Qui Gon for for a while. So uh, there's no reason to think that he stopped and he was going to teach Obi-Wan how to do it. So through this whole thing with Obi-Wan and Yo- anywhere where there's Obi-Wan and Yoda, you know, I mean, really, I'm very surprised. And who knows, it may happen in the future. But, you know, we could see a scene with, you know, Qui-Gon lurking around <laughs> with when Obi-Wan's talking to Yoda, you know. Right after after Luke's flying off, you know why not have Qui Gon there going? You're both nuts, you know. Come here, knuckleheads. <laughs> Whatever, you know. But the, you know, I mean, that's what's gonna happen if he redoes it. It's gonna they're gonna do some sort of sad song or something and like be playing turtles like bongos or some stupid shit like that. But let's not be pessimistic. Let's dwell on the positive, shall All we? I know is that we probably have listeners like Pearson <laughs> ripping their hair out going, why the hell are they talking about the prequels during The Empire Strikes Back? Because so, <laughs> it's back all to... mixed together, like it or not. Like it yep. or not. <laughs> well, you will all die moving horribly. On to the, <laughs> moving on to the next chapter where they actually get to Cloud City. Before we uh-huh. do that, um, one of the, the differences in the single issues in number 42 that I found was uh, 
there is an added page. It's a, a really nice page of a Star Destroyer uh, dumping its garbage, which, you know, it's a lot like those scenes that we talked about that would eventually show up in the Return of the Jedi um, single-issue adaptation. But it, at least it looks like it fits. Right. You know, you, if, if you didn't know any better, you'd never know that it, it wasn't part of, you know, the Super Special or the, uh, the Special Edition. I'm wondering if it's in that little paperback size one that you've got, but I, I bet that it's probably not. Probably not. But yeah, it's it's an, actually it's a full page splash in uh, in number forty two, and then there's also a uh, a pinup gallery of several really awesome pages. It's uh, Carmine Infantino covers to the Marvel UK um, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back weekly adaptation. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and that's really neat. And I, I'm pretty sure that when I got this issue as a kid, I'm pretty sure that that's where I first became aware of the Marvel UK Star Wars run. I don't think I even knew about that beforehand and, and saw that it was actually different from what we had here in the US. And you know, for that reason, that's why I've always been really interested in that material and love you know if the opportunity ever presented itself to get that stuff i always wondered why it was different than the u.s stuff you know why why maybe because they did it weekly they needed more covers so they wanted a consistent thing so they'd have infantino do maybe it was just a matter of like hey we want infantino to be getting some money while this is going on because he's not doing anything with star wars right now you know so and they had him on the payroll for Star Wars, so they said might as well have him do some UK covers too and keep him busy. I think it was just a matter of, you know, over there the comics were presented differently. They they came out weekly yeah. rather than monthly, and because over here they were just once a month, you know, then all of a sudden they needed that many more, uh, you know, that that much more art to cover all those covers. You know, for all the added issues, because I've noticed that now that I'm older and I'm I'm familiar with the entire series as a whole, if I look at those Marvel UK covers now, even though 99% of them are completely different and completely original from the US stuff, if I look at them, I can still tell what storyline is going on. Right. You know, compared to the US one, nine times out of ten. And that you know that's definitely the case with the with the Infantino stuff. You know, you look at those covers and they're they're beautiful and they're completely original to us as U.S. readers. But you can still tell exactly where they were in the uh, in the storyline. Interesting. I'm looking through my paperback and yes, Yoda in every single frame is is that goofy, scraggly haired looking Yoda. <laughs> but I do not see the Star Destroyer dumping garbage. I didn't figure they'd do it because big splash pages aren't working out too well in this, you know. Or wait. Wait, wait, wait. Let me compare it with my super special edition here. It may be in here. It may just be sort of a half a page in this. Does it have a word balloon going? Not bad, Flyboy. No, that's that's in that's the regular. The, that's edition. the regular yeah. edition picture. Okay, yeah. this one's this one's a little bit different. 
it's a it's a full page. You know, I don't have the hang on. I'll yeah. make an issue up here and tell you exactly what it says. It just says something about the the Star Destroyer because it, it is a little bit. It's cropped. It's, it's cropped. Oh, in I know the... what it says. It says uh, it says release the landing claw. Yeah, it says hit the mineral release for the landing claw, Chewie. And it, and it shows right. the Star and then all the shit falling out of the bottom of it, basically. Yeah, they really for this for the paperback book, they really had to crop the hell out of yeah everything, and we're, move, all the word balloons are are all redone and moved around. So, you know, the paperback books and stuff like that, they're cool, but they just don't they don't give you the flow of seeing right. it in that that original. And that's why I liked, I and I also found my original in its library permabound edition of the adaptation of Star Wars in black mm-hmm. and white paperback. Oh, I love that thing. Yeah, I've got one of those too. They're beautiful. Somewhere I've got a permabound that I colored in with colored pencils. Yeah, I did too. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was a dumbass kid. <laughs> Let's see, moving on to uh, 43, what do we got here? Um, well, the comic has a, uh, a really nice... Every one of these has a has a splash page in the beginning of them. Um, most of them are really cool. There's, there's one coming up that I'll point out I didn't think was, but this one has a splash page. It's Lando, Lobot, a couple of security guards, and then Cloud City beneath them, and it's, it's a really nice splash page. And that that's one disappointment with these other editions, like the the super special or the special edition, is that they didn't reprint all of the uh, the material from the comics. They didn't give us all the splash pages because those would be really nice pinup pages. Yeah, you know, they as, try- as bonuses. I guess maybe it was just a way to sell all the the versions of it. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, there's definitely advantages to to owning all three. Now I. One thing I've noticed are these are these issues shorter? They're only like eighteen pages long, aren't they? Yeah, I think like that's they're, why they're, they throw they're shorter extra stuff. Yeah, right. They're shorter than a normal edition, so the so the quote unquote floppies might have had to had a have a splash page in them to right. to make them so they're the same thickness. Plus, you have to have an even number of pages too, so that right. might have had something to do with it. Whereas when you collect them into one thing, it doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah, you don't notice it, but yeah, exactly. The 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 monthly issues, I think that's why number you know the first one, number thirty nine, is the standard comic size. But then the rest of them, as they go along, there's more and more bonus material because they you know they they had to split the story up that much. Yeah. You know, so I, and and not have as many. They didn't have as many pages. They, they might have been able to issue. do it in four issues. Yeah, you know what yeah I, they, they probably could have actually, and and but instead they were probably like wanted to follow the six issue format mm-hmm. of the originals. Plus, that's more comics that are gonna sell more. You know, you know those six issues are gonna sell like crazy. They're gonna sell to all the people who haven't even been reading the comic at all. Are gonna buy the Empire adaptation. So. Well, I we love, may have solved that mystery. Yeah, I love this chapter of of the adaptation because you know I love the entire movie of Empire, but this is where Empire really kicks into high gear for me. Is when yeah. they get the Cloud City. I love yeah. 
everything about that it's it just the the design of it it's beautiful you know this the shots of the falcon actually flying into the cloud city and all everything's orange and oh i just love that and you know al, al williamson really gets to to strut his stuff with you know a very uh flash gordony yep. looking cloud city but it really you know his art this is where his art style meshes the yeah. best is is with this you know he really shines here whereas you know his dagobah may look a little strange because it's a little bit uh you know he's got a lot of like toadstools and stuff like that his hoth looked a little weird because it was i don't know it, it looked a little bizarre to me with like the ice sculpture type things all right. over the place big man his things yeah but cloud city's dead on i mean he his you know his flourishes just add to it it, it blends perfectly so it doesn't look like him just uh you know, doing his own thing, doing his own thing lends right into it. You know, no, it fleshes out the movie to... actually a bit. Yeah. There's parts where you can actually see like some trees attached to buildings and stuff like that. It's just really neat. Yeah. Yeah. I and love it. Columns and yeah. I, 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 and all the cloud cars, you know, just sort of scooting around everywhere. Now, I like the aliens he throws in here. Because, you know, in the movie we had, you know, like Ugnaughts running around and stuff right. like that. We never get any Ugnaughts. I noticed that. Right. Too. That was a scene that was missing was the with Chewie. Gets with three Chewie head. Yeah, that, that's all cut out. We don't see any Ugnaughts. I don't even think we see any in the uh, freezing Han sequence. But I like what we do get. We get these lizard looking guys. There's the one on the, the one page here when Lando's walking them through the city. He looks like he's got a a cape and a cane and everything, but he's got a, you know, he's a lizard guy. I yeah. just think that's cool. And then below that, there's that panel. Now that guy right there is, uh, looks like he's the same species that Jabba the Hutt was during this yes. time. You know, yes. With, you know, with the sort face. of, yeah, the sort of like, yeah, their face almost looks like a mustache and beard the way it's, yeah. And then there's, and then you see, oh, what's a bounty hunter? I want to say Dengar. Mm-hmm. Right behind him. Oh, is that you think that's Dengar? And maybe he he's, he looks to me like uh, like a Middle Easterner because he looks like he's got like the the turban thing, and then he's got his face covered. I don't oh, wait, know. It maybe it's not Dengar. Dengar. Which was which one of the bounty hunters? Was a mummy? Like, no, there was the one guy. He looked sort of like he had a Boba Fett costume, but he had the. He had his face sticking out, and he had like the the mummy wrap all around his face. Yeah, that's Boba. That's uh, Dengar. That's Dengar. Yeah. This this look, that could I think it's, this sort of looks like Dengar. Well, maybe not. It looks like Dengar if he's pulled his his scarf over his face. <laughs> but yeah, they're but they're very Al Williamson old school Flash Gordon aliens, you know. Oh, definitely. And they remind yeah. me of. Actually, you're going to hate this, but the gold key Star Treks, when you'd have aliens in the background. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, because for some reason, every planet they went to in those gold key Star Treks always looked like they were going to, like, some third world country or something, didn't it? Right. It did. It looked like they were doing missionary work in, you know, in in South America or something. Right, right. Except everybody was bright yellow and... (laughs) 
<laughs> and had pointy, you know, pointy nose things, ridges or something, yeah. Now, uh, I also always like the guy, again, these pages aren't numbered in the thing I'm looking at here, but if you right. flip to the part where, uh, right after Chewie has gotten C-3PO, and Han, or Lando invites, I keep calling him Han, Lando invites everybody to dinner, on the next page, there's that scene of them walking along the, the, the catwalk there and the cloud cars zipping by. That dude in the hat looks like George Lucas to yeah. me. That's wearing the parka or whatever it is. Well, it looks like, well he's got the little wisp of white hair. He yep. looks like a little like Dr. Zarkov, too, though. <laughs> yes, he does. So it could be Dr. Hans Lukoff or something. <laughs> he looks like a, it must be pretty cold in Cloud City. It's, it's windy where he's at or yeah. something, I guess. I don't know. It's got some but, uh, snazzy spectacles. Also. I think next to Al Williamson, I don't think Darth Vader ever looks better than he looks right here in this adaptation, except for Al. I like, or did I say Al Williamson? I meant to say uh, Walt Simonson. Uh, Walt Simonson, yeah, Walt Simonson. Because later on, I don't want to spoil ahead, but later on, there's an awesome story. By uh, by Simonson that features Vader, and it's uh, it's a shot of Vader walking through an airlock. When we get to it, I'll point it out. But I think that is just beautiful. I think that's where where Vader looks his absolute best. He looks great right here, but a lot of this right here looks good because it's so photo referenced. You know? Right, right. And you know, which was one of my nitpicks last time around about this. I, I really do enjoy it. I don't mean to get down on the photo referencing. There's just a little bit too much of it. Well, it seems actually, you know, Darth Vader seems to be a character. And it's funny when you hear comic artists talk. You know, some of them will be like, "God damn it!" I, I think um, uh, when we were talking about Jonah Hex with um, Jimmy Palmiotti. Palmiotti. And he was just like, well, he didn't like drawing horses, you know, so you right. know, what can you do? And uh, I think Darth Vader would be would be a really hard character to get to look right without right. a reference, you know, for him. Because when you see the people who try it, it ends up all the proportions. If you screw up one proportion of Darth Vader, all the other things go all right. piss wacky too. And he ends up with a big snorkel in the front or... You know, or a, or a biker helmet on top, or something. You know, that's a good point because you know, now that you say that, we we very seldom see a drawn picture of Boba Fett, at, at least during this time period. Or did I say Boba Fett? Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. Man, I'm just all discombobulated. You're, you're Star Wars dyslexic tonight. Geek is straight. Um, yeah, but during this time period, you didn't see a whole lot of drawn pictures of Vader that looked really sharp and really looked like the character. I mean, you know, with all respect to Infantino, I mean, I love the guy's art, but his Vader a lot of times looked really wonky. He got, he had some, he's done some really awesome Vaders too. He was yeah. inconsistent with that, but yeah. And the same with stormtroopers too, is sometimes the stormtroopers would come out like looking like they left their helmet on the heater overnight, you know, and it sort right. of melted <laughs> into a different shape. <laughs> You know, what happened to your helmet there, soldier? Sorry, sir, I left it on the heater last night. I fell asleep. I was drunk. I'm sorry. Just put the goddamn thing on. 
like deforms his jaw while he's wearing it. But um, but I think that has to do with just trying to draw him freehand. And you know, I think today's artists have an advantage because they have a, they've had a, their whole lives to practice drawing <laughs> Star right. Wars people and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Because uh, I was just looking at something today. Um, gosh, I can't remember what it was. It was a it was a story where uh, where Vader was hunting down some of the the remnant Jedi after uh, Order sixty six, and damn, it was just beautiful art. I mean, uh-huh. it really looked good. Uh-huh. And, and, uh huh. Well, I think today, I think the comic boom also brought a new wave of people who wanted to be artists and I think a lot of them really noticed a lot of that stuff of like you know when you'd be what was that guy's name Springer the and his superheroes sometimes they're like legs would be you know way disproportionate and weird and, and all that stuff and I think a lot of people you know grew up and were inspired to do comics and were like really set to be graphically competent. You know, they learned, they, they went and they got their, Mm -hmm. their training in the basics and the anatomy and proportion and, and all that. And so you don't really see a lot of those artists anymore that are just sort of like weird, (laughs) just consistently wonky and weird that when you see them turn up, you go, Oh no, Nowadays, when you see somebody that you're like, oh no, I don't like. Are their you talking art. like Liefeld? Is that who you mean? That Rob Liefeld or somebody like that? Or I don't know what did what did Rob Liefeld do. <laughs> he, he's, he's like what you're describing, but you uh, said Springer, and I'm trying I'm trying to think of who the hell. I'm not sure who that is. Frank Springer, I think, was his name. Oh, okay, yeah, from way back, yeah, from okay. way back, right? Yeah. And you would see a Frank Springer comic, and I remember we would just start laughing because it was just sort of. And it was sort of ironic because his characters usually had these long, gangly legs like they would be springing around with or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did he, he used to do? Spider-Man, maybe. And uh, I think a lot of people, when they when they came up, they saw this stuff and were like, ah, I don't want to be one of those guys. Or maybe it became more competitive. So a lot of those people got weeded out and... Nowadays, if you see an artist and you're like, oh, I don't want to look at that, it's usually just because you don't like their their style more than they're a shitty artist. Although, not to say <laughs> there aren't shitty artists out there, you know. I'm sure there's, there's you know, if I were to say there were no shit, not as many shitty artists, I'm sure everybody could come up with a whole laundry list. Oh, I could give you some, yeah, but uh, but you know, on the whole, I do think that art has has improved. I, I think comics as a whole, the art has has improved. The writing has, I can't say if it's gotten better or worse. It sort of stayed, maybe stayed the same, which is a shame because it should have should be getting better. Although the stuff that's really good is really good, so well, I don't see, know. See, the thing is, I, I this is this is where we get into old fart territory because yes, I'm sure that you you could find you know kids that are coming up today reading the new stuff and go, oh, you know, this writing's so much better than that crap in the '80s, you know. But I don't know. I think that to a certain degree, I think comic book writing has devolved a bit. 
I mean, yes, it's a bit more intense and a bit more adult today, but I think a lot of the flavor's gone out of it too, to where it's not um, as something as dynamic or as interesting. Um, I mean, I don't miss a lot of this like super exposition, but at the same rate, it's gone completely the other way. You've gone from guys like Roy Thomas to where it'd take you a fucking hour and a half to read one of his Avengers issues to somebody like, you know, one of these hot young Turks coming along who, you know, you get their hot new flavor of the month book and you can breeze through it in two minutes because there's hardly any fucking dialogue in it. You know, and I, I don't, you know, I don't like that angle either, you know, so there there has to be a happy medium between, you know, the well, captions that tell you a story and, and not any captions at all, and you can just breeze right through it, so. I think the advantage nowadays is in numbers. There's just sheer way more comics put out than back in the old days. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you, you know, you can still get the superhero comics, you can still find good writing in bad writing, but since there's more of it, it sort of balances out. But you know, I just remember when Dark Knight came out, and the whole world was like, "Wow, comics are a valid medium now," and it didn't really stick. You know, no. comics didn't live up to that, and all of a sudden, take take that on and 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 manifest it into reality by becoming an actual adult medium. They still tried to play it both ways, you know, and that's really sort of kept it back. But, back to Star Wars. (laughs) I think the Star Wars comics have been very good nowadays at not being like, well, you know, there are some Star Wars comics that are, you know, almost just like pure action with no dialogue or whatever. Right. But I think they've been pretty good at maintaining that balance of exposition and you know, I, I think the advantage with the Star Wars comics is that they've taken the evolution, the the modern way of doing comics, and they've adapted it to a Star Wars feel. And because Star Wars, at its best, is a lot of fast-paced action along, and, yeah. and moves along, that that has lent itself very well to modern Star Wars comics so that when they really click – you know they 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 click perfectly because it looks like a Star Wars film on paper. Because like like I was saying that when I was reading today, I wish I could remember what the hell the name of it was because it was really good. You know the the fights with Vader versus like this whole team of renegade Jedi. It was just it was fantastic and it looked like a movie. I mean it, it, you could you could actually see this in your mind on the screen it was it was that clear and that that beautifully rendered and all well i bring up those those modern star wars comics cuz i think really i'm sort of putting together this theory that this this adaptation of empire was sort of almost i don't want to say a prototype like they based the modern way they do star wars comics on this but this has the feel of the modern Star Wars comics that you see today, mm-hmm. you know, which is funny because it's an old, it's an author or an artist from the past. Even when this came out, you know, he was, he had to be old as the hills when he did this. So, but it has a, it does, not a lot of exposition, you know, just um, 
a few little few little um, windows, you know, here and there, but it's mostly mostly told by the dialogue, which is usually more or less from the movie or a paraphrase from the movie. And 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 the art and the coloring and everything, you know, and especially if you're looking at on the Baxter paper edition, you know, right, which would make it look even more so. So I think this is sort of actually the new, the, you know, this was sort of the first comic in the really the modern style Star Wars comics. It's definitely a departure from what we we had been getting. You know, prior to Empire, you know, and with it's the, sort of a departure from what we're going to get after it too. For the most part, you know, we're going to go back to the just regular stories with a little more exposition, you know, and more comic booky. You know what I mean? Well, briefly, we do. I mean, that that was one thing I was going to talk about at the end. Is you know, after this, we do briefly go back to uh, you know, Carmine Infantino comes back, and we we get a handful of stories with him. But then, at least to my mind, we're, we're going to see how much my memory really holds up, you know, when we really start to re-examine these. Because, you know, a lot of these stories I haven't reread in a very long time. But to my mind, when, when we get to issue 49 and the, the creative team changes, that's where things really start to ramp up. Because, and that's my favorite period of the Marvel Star Wars comics, you know, the, the entire run is from 49 pretty much right on through because you know, it, it just, the, the, the action level ramps up, the stories ramp up, I think they were making much more of a conscious effort to maintain the momentum that Empire gave, you know, the Star Wars franchise, right. you know, that, that whole cliffhanger feel, they were really trying to build on that and run with that and use that that story and just how worked up the fans were you know all the speculation that was going on you know about you know luke you know know, vader really being luke's father and han being lost and were they going to be able to recover him and all of that and some great stuff came out of it so i'm i'm really looking forward to that we've got a couple issues that we're going to have to wade through before we get to that awesomeness and you know it'll be interesting because we do have a brief you know at least to the way i remember it it's a brief step backwards because you know you got this it was an awesome adaptation the art's beautiful and everything and it really was a departure from everything that came before and then as soon as it's over it's like right back to the infantino and this is definitely an example of you couldn't go home again because after you got this going back to Infantino was like oh god you know so those issues were were a little bit rough you know but then when it kicks over with that with that story in 49 that's uh, that's when it really starts to ramp up so oh, I'm yeah. excited about that but uh, let's see getting back to my notes real quick here well for number 43 um, you know that's where it ends with uh, with Han having been frozen in the in the carbonite. Um, now in the the actual issue, this is definitely worth picking up because you've got a, a full again a whole extra page in that book. It's a full page splash plus it has an inset panel in it and it's of Luke's X-wing on final approach to Cloud City, which was a scene I noticed. 
was missing from the super special when i read it today i was like oh they cut out that scene with you know with luke and r2 approaching you know and r2 asked him something about you know do you think 3po is with them or something like that that's missing from this but that is in the extra scene that they throw you in the individual issue plus all right there's also a bonus pinup gallery now i had completely forgotten about this because it's been so long since i pulled the individual issues out but there's a the first one it has uh, han chewy luke and leia at the echo base and that's drawn by Terry Austin. And then there's another one. Uh, it's the rebels. They're down in the ice trenches on Hoth, and they're being annihilated by these two scout walkers. That one's by Michael Golden. And it's really cool. It's just these two scout walkers just laying into the rebels and, you know, bodies flying all over and everything. It's pretty, pretty cool. I have to dig into, I have to dig in to my comic boxes and, those out yeah you have to find because it's really nice Uh, this any one of these would make like a really nice poster or t-shirt or something one i can't believe i forgot because you know what a fan i am of this guy there's one of stormtroopers blasting c-3po that one's by john byrne Ooh, and i had completely forgot because i always thought that the only work that byrne ever did on star wars was the cover of number 13 so i was really shocked to pull this out today and i was like Holy shit, that's John Byrne. So, yeah, he actually did do more than just that cover. And uh, let's see, there was uh, Yoda on Dagobah by uh, Maurice Severin. And then here's one that you'll like. This is really fantastic. It's an upshot looking up the stairway, like the staircase, the stairway. Uh-huh. In, in the uh, the carbon freezing chamber, looking up at Luke and, and Vader locked in lightsaber combat. And it's drawn by... Uh, the then artist and writer of Daredevil, Frank Miller. And that one's really cool. And I had totally forgotten about these because they're not, you know, they're not reprinted in these other editions or anything. And like I say, I hadn't pulled out the the single issues of these in probably 20 years or better. So I, I was really pleasantly surprised to find those. And then, um, let's see, moving into the last issue... Now, the the splash page in this was the only one I didn't like. I thought it was a really ugly splash page. And it's uh, Luke and Vader fighting with their lightsabers. And uh, it was it was another one of those instances, kind of like the... We get an extra page in this one of the, uh, the Falcon returning to Cloud City to rescue Luke as he's hanging off the bottom of it. And both the opening splash page and this extra page of the Falcon... I think the artists are suspect in this one. I don't. I. Uh-huh. I really don't think it's the same team. I don't think it's Williamson and whoever the inker was, Garzon or whatever. I could be wrong, but it just looking at it, it just doesn't look on par with the rest of the art in the issue. So I, I have a feeling that it was one of those things that somebody just threw in there by a different team. But in that last issue, number forty-four. That one also has a pinup gallery. And uh, this time this time there's some really cool ones. There's uh, Boba Fett by Walt Simonson. That is nice. And, uh, man, I would definitely, definitely like to see that, like on a T-shirt or something. Um, let me see. Luke on his Tauntaun by Joe Jusco, who uh, 
I, I couldn't recall ever having seen art by him that wasn't painted. And this isn't painted. It's just, you know, it's just line drawn. And it was just kind of weird. But it's a nice piece of art. Um, and then there's a really cool one. The entire cast with Darth Vader looming behind them. And then they're set against a, uh, a Cloud City backdrop. It's by Fred Hembeck. Oh, you know the you know. I think I've like seen the, that. Yes, I think yeah. I've seen that one. That yeah. one's hysterical. It's really really funny. And uh, you got Chewie versus the Ugnots again. A scene that actually didn't make it into the adaptation by uh, Bob Layton. That one's really cool. And then the last one is uh, Leia and Lando laying down. Uh, cover fire for Chewie and R2 as they board the Millennium Falcon by Marshall Rogers. And that one's really cool, too. I like his art a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty much it for uh, the differences in the in the single issues and everything, but uh, I got a kick out. I was really pleasantly surprised to find those splash pages. I was like, wow. Or I mean the uh, uh, pinup gallery, Pin-ups, rather. Yeah, yeah I totally forgot that they were in there so that was really cool it's a nice little extra and once again I'll just add all this stuff at the the, final, the battle with Darth Vader at the end is just beautiful couldn't be better mm-hmm. better presented than it is in here it's just awesome it captures the whole feel of everything that happens and it even has one of those crazy old school it reminds me of um, oh what's his name classic Spider-Man you know original Spider-Man author oh uh Ditko Steve Dit- Ditko Dit- Steve Ditko Doctor Strange oh yeah with scenes. the colors and all well, yeah well there's a scene you know where R2 um overrides the alert system mm-hmm. and you know there's the, there's a shot of just the silhouette of Chewie and Leia and Lando running and it's their silhouette, and in front of them is a total like Doctor Strange window pane design w- with over white space. It's right a- right before the page where Luke jumps off the chasm into the you know after fighting oh, okay. Darth Vader. Let's see if I can find. It's totally Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange looking, <laughs> and then it has that beautiful shot of Darth Vader swinging his lightsaber and cutting Luke's hand off which is artfully blocked by a piece of machinery yeah I just I wish that they had shown the hand still attached to the lightsaber lightsaber would have been cool yeah Yeah. I think they were trying to be kitty as kitty friendly as possible I guess but (laughs) you know you also don't get the whole um, scene of Luke Falling and sliding through the different holes and oh, that's right, yeah, and, and and stuff before he just sort of falls and then he ends up. So you 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 know I mean when he falls in this one you sort of see how he doesn't you know how why he doesn't die, and in this one he's just hanging from the the TV antenna at the bottom. Right. <laughs> I like that picture. At the top of the page, as as they escape out to the Falcon and they're flying away, and the stu- the stormtroopers are shooting at them, that first panel of that hallway with just yeah. like swirly, like taffy looking architecture, and yeah. all that, it's just beautiful. I mean, it really adds to 
you know the the movie architecture we saw in Cloud City. You know that really Art Deco type of. Th- I, I just yeah. love that's really nice looking. Yeah, he was made to draw that stuff. Oh yeah, and I love the way that when Luke's on the antenna, I love the way it's just sort of on the next page. It's just sort of presented in silhouette. You know, it's a very simple drawing of the silhouette with a chunk of it falling off into space. So yeah, yeah ver- Vernas, Vernas. <laughs> and uh and I always and I always like this I always liked in the comics and it's the page where Luke falls and they catch him on the Falcon and so the TIE fighters are chasing after him I always liked how the TIE fighters sometimes in the comics which you never saw this in the movies ever but out of the comics they would have you know like fire coming out of their heinies right you know, like they had a Star Trek like engine in the back of their in the back of the TIE fighter which would be the only place you could sort of would see a propulsion unit in something like this. So, right. So I always like when I see that. And that's a nice, nice example. But, you know, the only thing that I think really falls up short, and then now it's not a, you know, a game breaker or anything for me, is Chewie just does not have the dialogue they just, I noticed his, that his, too. Yeah. His lines are just like, "rog." Almost dark. everything has some derivation of arc. It's like a w yeah. and a bunch of r's and a k. Now, there's one place, granted, where he does say "narrower," <laughs> which is, which is pretty funny because it's right after Han's going closer, closer, or well, Leia's going closer, closer. Oh, he says, or whatever. He actually says, it's N-A-R-O-W, narrow. But it's with a, but it's with a question mark, right? And an exclamation mark. So it's like almost like he is saying it almost, I don't know. But, that's, but see, I think that gag actually works better in the comic than it does in the movie. Because in the movie, you know, he says, I want to get closer to one of the big ones. And Leia says, closer. And 3 says, closer. closer. And then our, and Chewie just goes, Rrr. Or whatever, yeah. and it doesn't sound like a question. It doesn't right. sound like he, the like the Wookiee equivalent of closer. Sure. Yeah, which how it should, you know. So in the com- when you read it in the comic, it's actually funnier. It, it, the joke actually works. I, that's one of the few times in the movies I, I think the the joke is lost. And another thing that the that the, I don't think we've ever pointed out, but I don't know if they do it all the time, but they seem to do it in this one is whenever three PO talks, he's got a square word balloon have they I thought they've been doing that in the comics have they been doing that consistently maybe it's it's just something we've never really talked about but the one in the comics is actually different because it it has a very distinct it's square but it also has a distinct coloring and like a distinct outline around it I I don't have another regular issue in front of me or I'd I'd point it out but yeah, when we get to next issue, if, if 3PO has dialogue in that one, I'll point it out. We'll figure it out, yeah. Yeah, he usually, he usually does to, to, you know, show that his, somehow his speech is different. From it's different, yeah, it's mechanical else. somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which Marvel was always good at that, you know, with, with all of their characters, because I remember, like, the recorder. Right. Too. Remember, he had the like the square with like a funny type and, of thing around it. Or well, something. he would have a little like little like it's not even like a starburst, but it was like a popping bubble sort of 
thing at the beginning of it that almost like symbolized a click. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah. At the I think at the beginning of all of his stuff, it may have even said like click, but if it did, it was like. Oh, you're t- you're thinking about Bug. Bug did that in the no, Micronauts. Bu- yeah, Bug did that in the Micronauts too. He he actually said click. Right. And the click would go off the word balloon and be just like a whole other little thing. But I think the recorder also had like a little pop or something, you know, in front of each one of his things, which I, you know, I always think that's a good, that's, I like that about comics when they add stuff to the language, you know, yeah, to I the li- visual I like language that they have, of it. Yeah, exactly. That they have their own visual language. Exactly. Yeah, I like that a lot. I really do. Well, I liked this. I really like looking back and, and re-examining this. Um, I, I I like what it adds because what it adds and, and the differences and all make up for any shortcomings. Because what I really thought you were going to say, the only, the only disappointment I've got with this is you get to the very end of it and the movie's basically wrapped up in four panels at the end. Yeah. And I always thought the, the ending of Empire was really exciting. You know, the, the chase, you know, the, the, the TIE fighters chase the Falcon away. You know, there's that really, like, like just, you know, edge-of-your-seat moment when the Falcon is, you know, teeny-tiny and it's skimming up, a, you know, almost right up against the Super Star Destroyer and Luke's looking out the window and he's, it's Vader, you know, and that, that whole sequence and he and Luke are communicating back and forth. Really, you don't really get any of that. I, 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 I think that was also a part of like holding back yeah you know yeah. Get, giving get getting the information out of there but holding back on it so that it didn't didn't take away all the enjoyment of the movie <laughs> right but unfortunately it, it just leaves you with kind of a you know what now that I think about it though Jedi kind of had the same problem yeah so I remember the the ending of it Jedi just kind of wraps it up yeah, it does. It wraps it up. And I can remember going to see the movie and being thrilled by all the extra stuff that there was actually yeah. in the movie that wasn't in the adaptation. Because for one thing, I don't in the adaptation, I don't think Leia does the whole scene with Han where she tells him, you know, Luke's my brother and all that. I don't I'm yeah. pretty sure that's not in there. So all of that was kind of a shock, you know, getting to see it in the in the theater and all that. So I understand what they were going for, but it just, you know, in retrospect, looking at it now, after having seen the movie over and over for, you know, for 30 years, you look at it now and the end just kind of feels just a little bit, a little bit stiff, a little bit flat. You never see the uh, the rebel fleet at all. You know, you just you have That's Luke and, uh, and Leia looking out the window, but that was one of the great things about Empire was that final shot yeah. and that pan that pan back, and you saw this, you know, ragtag because it always kind of reminded me a little bit of the end Battlestar of uh, Battlestar Galactica. You know, I you knew that. Ragtag. I knew you were going to say that as soon as you said ragtag. Yep. And yeah, ra- but it ragtag's, did, though, didn't it? ragtag's a game that the lady soccer players used to play in our college but I won't get into that in this episode because <laughs> that's disgusting off topic off well, topic well I, I think, think that's about all I got what do you think yeah and I, and I like that you were, were, we were just sort of referencing the end of the Empire Strikes Back movie because I think uh, 
everybody should come back next month because it's going to be a huge blowout on the actual movie The Empire Strikes Back. So you won't be getting any Clone Wars, you won't be getting any comics next month, you're just getting pure, 100% bottled The Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah, baby. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.